to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. This morning, as we recognize Children's Sabbath, we're going to hear two stories from scripture. Listen to these stories about adult-child relationships and understanding. The first is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a child and put the child among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Our other story is from the Old Testament, the first book of Samuel, chapter 3. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to God under Eli. The word of God was rare in those days, and visions were not widespread. And at that time, Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of God, where the ark of God was. And then God called. Samuel. Samuel, he said. Samuel said, here I am, and ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go lie down again. So Samuel went and lay down. Then God called again. Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call, my son. Go back and lie down again. Now Samuel didn't yet know God, and the word of, the God, of God had not yet been revealed to him. God called Samuel a third time, and he got up, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli perceived that it was God calling the boy. So Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if you hear the voice again, you shall say, Speak, God, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and God came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. May God bless our hearing and understanding this word. 
Become as children is what Jesus says. Unless you become as children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are a whole lot of conditions that are nearly impossible to overcome to getting to this kingdom of heaven. The Gospel writer Matthew lays out several of these conditions. You're going to have to forgive my Greek. Greek is not a skill I have, but I've been doing a little study, and so I wrote some, it's, it's written down here phonetically, so I'm going to try this. But Matthew uses a phrase, the kingdom of heaven is how we usually translate it. But Matthew is the only gospel writer to use this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the only one. Sometimes he'll use the phrase kingdom of God, which is what Mark and Luke do when they're talking about these same things that Jesus said. We think that maybe Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven because he was speaking to a Jewish audience, and the Jewish audience would have taken that name God very seriously and would have maybe even been set off by it being called the kingdom of God. But what Matthew uses is this word heaven, the kingdom of heaven. I'll, I'll, my Greek, I'm going to try it. Basileia ton uvernon is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of heaven. The only one who puts this phrase in Jesus' mouth. So if Matthew knew the phrase, kingdom of God, Matthew must have meant something when he put in Jesus' mouth the phrase, kingdom of heaven. To unpack just a smidge of this language, First, the first word is the Basileia one. It is translated typically in our um, Bibles as kingdom, and you'll hear sometimes more inclusively, more frequently, um, now is kingdom used there as in, implying the family of God. But it's not exactly, Basileia is not exactly a place, and it's not exactly a person or a thing. It's more like a power. It's the right to have power over, the right to reign or rule. Like a president has Basileia over her nation. And then the second word, the Uranon one, is translated heaven. The word that Matthew uses that's translated heaven is the common word for the dome of the sky and the mystery that dwells in it. In this language, it's definitely something that's up. It's above us. But it's not invoking clouds and angels and harps, but it is invoking planets and stars and sky. At the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the power of the universe is right here among us. It's all around us. So the dominion of mystery is right here, the mysterious divine power of the universe. According to Matthew, though, also, however, you and I are going to have a really hard time getting there. It's going to be hard for the likes of us to have the power of the universe. We're too rich. We're too old. We are too powerful, earthly in our lives. We are too unpersecuted. 
we are not doing the will of Jesus' parent. And this one, I'm sorry, but the kingdom of heaven is closed due to hypocrites. And this, we're not childlike. The power of the universe belongs to the children and those who are like the children. What is Jesus saying about childhood? He says a lot, actually. It's important to recognize that some of the things that were in the context of this scripture in Matthew's experience of childhood would have been a bit strange and different to us. In this world, kids are a lot of things, and for starters, they're a blessing because they're pretty much a retirement fund. Nobody's going to take care of you when you're old if you don't have kids to do that. So they are an investment in your well-being in the future when you're going to need them. Kids are also extremely fragile. You might want to have more than one because they don't always make it through their childhood. And it makes them a lot of work and upkeep. Matthew does point out that children are worthy of being nurtured. Which one of us here, if a kid came to us and said we were, they were hungry, would you give them a rock? What do you think about when you think about childhood? Not your own, not in this moment. We'll get to that in a second. But how do you think about childhood as a concept? For one reason or another, we've been socialized to think that Childhood is equated with simplicity, ease, fun, joy. What comes to mind? Toys, peanut butter, cuteness, bright colors, laughter, tears, games, Applesauce, bedtimes, diapers. I heard a fascinating thing this week. In 1918 was the first year that primary school education was compulsory for all students in the United States, for all children. And that same year was the great flu pandemic that swept through the world. And they found that school was the safest place for kids to be. Compulsory school kept kids out of the workplace, which is something that happened alongside with the Industrial Revolution. It's something that has happened throughout history in a lot of places. It's something that still happens in our neighborhood. We're conditioned to think that childhood looks like a certain something. But the essence of what it is to be a child might be the essence of powerlessness, not having dominion over your environment, the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. It's the powerlessness of the earthly realm. So now let's do think about our own childhoods for a moment. What was your childhood like? There is many experiences of childhood that are legitimate experiences of childhood as there are people in this room. Some of those experiences were gleeful, full of joy and wonder. Others were wounding and hurtful 
and all are a portrait of real childhood. So what's the difference from your experience of childhood compared to your idealization of childhood? What agency did you have in childhood? In social science, agency is the capacity of individuals to act independently and make their own free choices. So you might think you were born into this world with no agency, but it's actually true that infants have a very little bit of agency. They're able to advocate for their needs being met. What do they do? They cry. Babies cry, but at that point, their agency ends. They are entirely dependent on older people to provide for them their needs. They cannot keep themselves warm or nourished, the two things that are essential to basic survival. And if those needs aren't met consistently in early life, the child becomes accustomed to not having other basic needs met. Who met your basic needs? If you're sitting here today, someone at some point met your basic needs. They might not have met your next order of needs, but every one of us here has had our basic needs taken care of by someone else at some point in time. Not every soul makes it to experience those first moments of life, but those who do only survive if someone feeds and shelters them and someone else cares for them. More than likely, when you were cared for, they went beyond that first level of care, of food and shelter, and they cared for your second-order needs, a sense of security, emotional well-being, and language development. These are not bonus or additional surprise, you get it because you earned it sort of things. These are still basic needs security, emotional well-being, and language development. Everyone deserves to have these things. So these three needs show up the instant that an infant's needs are met for food and warmth. They almost happen accidentally. A parent picks up a child to give them food, and they make eye contact which brain science tells us activates chemicals in the infant's body that makes their brain work. How cool is that? Picking up and looking at someone activates their brain in a new way. It's, by the way, also good for the adult brain. It sends the adult a rush of endorphins that feels really good, but that's actually almost a side effect. The infants who need their brains stimulated and their needs responded to need it consistently throughout their childhood. It's exhausting, really, to be someone who has to provide those basic needs. Once you were really needy, once you were entirely dependent. For some, this basic need exchange isn't happening. In these last hundred years, we've relegated the job of stimulating young brains to schools and childcare centers. We have highly prioritized the productivity of adult wage earning over the responsibility and necessity of tending to children. And then, 
Then we created a system that turns the need for nurture upside down, where it becomes a luxury available only to those who already have abundance and a near impossibility for those who are scraping to get by. Who does this system hurt the most? Those who are only able to cry. Those with little or no agency. It hurts everyone. But those with little or no agency are the ones whose needs go unmet. And the cycle of having your needs unmet continues. Not everyone has their needs met. To meet the needs of food and shelter, those keep you alive needs, your survival not thriving needs, our system isn't set up for all children born into the world with nothing, just as you were born into the world with nothing. The system is not set up for every child to just basically have food and shelter, not to mention emotional well-being, not to mention security and respect and language development. I think this power of the universe must be a really amazing thing, but it won't be ours unless we can let go of our extreme need for self-reliance. If we continue to make systems built on entire independence, we won't experience this mysterious realm of power. The story of Samuel is a good one to set right alongside this reading from Matthew. You remember Samuel's story. He was a prophet, priest, who was the child of Hannah, who begged God to have a child. And she said, if I have a child, I will dedicate the child to God's service. And so Hannah did have a child and dedicated Samuel to the temple to serve under the priest Eli. Eventually, as Eli was growing, or as Samuel was growing, Eli realized that it was God who was calling out to Samuel and encouraged Samuel to respond to God the same way that he was responding to Eli. Samuel needed Eli. Samuel needed Eli to help him have language to name his experiences. The experience that comes from surviving into adulthood is something that can be offered to children. I notice that Eli doesn't tell Samuel what he should think or how he should feel about God calling to him in the middle of the night. Eli meets Samuel's disorientation with his wisdom and with an openness and tells him to say, speak, I'm listening. When Eli gets Samuel's report, which isn't good for Eli, by the way, Eli meets Samuel with respect and belief. It's an amazing story in our Bible of an adult-child relationship where the adult defers to the child's wisdom and experiences. So this phrase that we've heard and have had used maybe even against us at times, Paul says to the church in Corinth, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But now that I've grown, I've put childish things away. I want you to think about putting childish things away the way you would put something up on a shelf. 
It doesn't stop being just because it's put away. What would that look like? We're grown up, we take on great responsibility, but we still recognize who we were. That childishness is still in you. You are still that person. Jesus says, repent, the basilea uraton is with you. It's among you. It's right here. It's accessible to you, and to get to it, you must become the you that you were, that you still are. Turn around. The power of the universe is within you. Someday, in our best-case scenario, we will discover something Eli knew. Eli could no longer see. God no longer spoke to Eli. Eli's sons abused their power and authority. But Eli had Samuel right there. Samuel needed Eli. Eli also needed Samuel. The Bastelia ton Oranon is only a shared power. It's right here when we recognize that it's also right there. I'm not saying we need to look to children to take care of their adults. That abuse of power happens all too often. But what I am saying is that at our best, we can recognize we need other people. We can't exist without the care and compassion of others. We have agency, and at the very least, we have the agency to cry out. We can empathize with children. We can learn from children. We can listen to. We can believe children. And when we identify with these needs of children, the power of the entire universe will be right here.